You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, good morning. And um, I want to say a special welcome if you're watching from the Ellen site as well. Good morning, Ellen. And good morning, everybody who's watching on Catalyst Live. We're going to be thinking about the authority of Jesus today. And I wonder what comes to your mind when, um, when you think of the authority of Jesus. Um, when you think of the word authority, uh, the first thing that I thought of, maybe it just shows you a bit of my childhood, but it made me think of just being a wee bit naughty in the, play, in, in the corridors at school and then seeing the head teacher coming towards me and then suddenly walking very smart and suddenly behaving. Um, or maybe you're driving along and you see a police car behind you and even though you're going at the speed limit, you just drop your speed by a couple of miles per hour just in case. Um, but I wonder what the word authority um, stirs up in you. Well, this morning we're going to be thinking about the authority of Jesus and we're looking at Acts chapter 19. We've jumped ahead a few chapters from where we've been. So um, Paul is now in the city of Ephesus in chapter 19. And we're going to read from verse 11 to verse 20. So why don't you um, grab a Bible or swipe to um, Acts 19 and we'll read it together. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So a few things going on in that passage. So we're going to have a wee quick recap. recap. I do like a quick recap. So there's three main things going on. The first thing that we see is people are taking items of clothing that Paul has touched. They're taking them to sick people and they are healed. Then the next thing we see is we've got these professional exorcists who are going around driving out demons and they decide to use the name of Jesus to drive out demons. But the demon says that he doesn't know where they are. So he beats them up, leading, leaving them naked and bleeding. And then the next thing is the people recognize the authority of Jesus and they turn to him burning their scrolls. So what's all that about? So today we're going to look at the authority that Jesus has over all these situations. Firstly, looking at the authority that Jesus has over illness. 
So in verses 11 and 12, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. These tell us about the authority that Jesus has over illness. It said that God did extraordinary miracles. So these weren't just every run of the day miracles. Um, at this point in Acts, Luke, the author, had seen many miracles. He'd seen God heal people. He'd seen people being raised from the dead. He'd seen people speak in unknown languages. He'd seen loads of miracles, but he specifically says here that they were extraordinary miracles. So these were things, other translations say special or unusual. It was as if God was working in a different way with this group of Ephesians. We know that Paul had another job. It tells us in Acts that he also, to earn some money, <coughs> excuse me, he worked with leather. And when he was working with leather, he would have tied a handkerchief around his head as a sweatband, basically, and he would have worn an apron. And it was these items that were being taken from Paul and they were taken to people maybe at some distance and they were placed on them and these people were being healed. Um, to us, that seems a wee bit weird. I mean, I always think it's a wee bit weird at the end of a tennis match when Andy Murray, he's maybe been playing in 25 degrees heat, five sets, you know, lots of energy, and then he takes off probably squelchy sweatbands and throws them into the crowd. And I think, I don't think I'd be one of, one of these people desperate to catch them and be like, squelch, yay, I've got Andy Murray's sweaty sweatband. But basically, this is, this is the kind of item that was being taken to people. And yet God was using it to heal people. And the important thing to note that sweatbands contain no healing power. But what it says is, it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I wonder if even Paul and Luke were watching what was happening and thinking, well, that's new. Um, but God is bigger than our imaginations. And Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine according to his power that's at work in us. We should never limit God to what we think is possible. Jesus has authority over all things, over sweatbands and over illnesses. He can heal us in extraordinary ways. So if you were to do a Google search of prayer cloth healings, which I have done this week, and you, you, get, um, you get many stories of people being healed in this way. So God is still obviously working in this way, but it is an extraordinary way, I would say. Um, but let's keep at the front of our minds that there's nothing special about the cloth, but there is something extraordinary about our God. He can heal us physically. He can heal us emotionally. He can heal us um, it, from, from deep wounds from the past. And he can do so in extraordinary ways. And if you need healing today, we would love to pray for you. And uh, we'll, we'll do that later on. And let's not limit God to what we think he can do or how he might choose to heal us. It also says that God did extraordinary things through Paul. Paul was just an ordinary man who offered God his sweatbands and God did extraordinary miracles with them. 
I wonder what you can offer God in your life. He wants to use us to bless others. And he has authority over all things. He has authority over illness. He has authority over sweatbands. He has authority over anything. And so I wonder if you might ask God today, what can I give you, God, that you can choose to bless others through me? We also see in the next section the authority of the name of Jesus. So in this next section, we see people who are Jews and they're going around driving out evil spirits, probably charging money for it. It tells us about the seven sons of Sceva, which I think sounds a wee bit like a boy band or something, but actually Sceva, it tells us, was a Jewish chief priest, although that's probably not actually true because there's no record in the history books of a Jewish high priest called Sceva. He may have been from the family line of the, of the priestly family, or he may have just been using this title, um, which is more likely um, to give himself a bit more authority in the way that a fake doctor might use the title doctor, but they're not actually a doctor. Um, either way, they were fakes in all senses. In those days, people went around making a living out of exorcism and clairvoyant powers, just as they do today. And they would often go to somebody and they would recite a whole list of names of gods, hoping that when they recited a specific name of a specific god, it would be right for this specific purpose. And they'd heard that Paul was um, healing people and, and casting out evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they thought, okay, why don't we try this? We'll add Jesus to our list of names. But then they're in for a bit of a shock because what happens is when they go to this particular man who has an evil spirit, they try and cast out the evil spirit in the name of Jesus. And the evil spirit says, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man who has the evil spirit then overpowers them and they have to run out of the house naked and bleeding. Jesus has authority over demons. But the problem was that these fake professional exorcists, they didn't know Jesus. They weren't carriers of Jesus, so they had no authority. Um, when I had just had my first baby, um, she was a few days old. She was born in the middle of September, and we'd just come home from the hospital. And at that point, we lived near the university. And if you live near the university, I pray for you in the middle of September because that's when Freshers Week happens. And it's, qu it's quite noisy living in that area of Aberdeen for that week. You get lots of people who've been out partying into the early hours of the morning and they come down your house and they come down your street singing and shouting. And um, when you've got a, a baby that's a few days old, who's extremely precious to you. And at that point, you don't realize that they're probably not gonna wake up with that sort of noise anyway. But you, you will do anything to protect that baby's sleep. So there was one night, um, I had just managed to settle um, our baby daughter and it was about four in the morning when a group of boys came down our street singing and shouting and I was really cross and the mama bear instinct in me kicked in and I thought, I'm going to do anything to protect my baby's sleep. So I went to our front door and I opened the door and I just glared at them with my best glare. And they stopped 
and they just looked at me. And I thought, oh, yes, the evil glare has, has made a difference. So I closed the door. I went back into our bedroom. And I said to my husband, Finn, I said, I showed them. And he just smiled and he said, yeah, you did, Em. Because at that moment, just as I said that, all you could hear was these boys outside the house shouting, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And so he, Finn, had a, a really good laugh at me. But in that moment, I had no authority over these boys. They were just like, who's this wifey standing in her pajamas at the front door? Um, glaring at us. Um, I had no authority over them. And there, there is power in the name of Jesus. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are carriers of that authority. The problem was in this case that these fake exorcists, they had no authority because they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't carriers of the authority of Jesus. I don't know if you've watched any TV programs like Designated Survivor or programs where there's a new president of the United States was sworn in and they're given a thing called the nuclear football. And the nuclear football is basically a fancy briefcase which um, gives the president the codes to authorize a nuclear attack. And sometimes I think that when we our believers, I, th I think of it a bit like that, that we are carriers of this authority of Jesus. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, we have that authority in our prayers. Um, the name of Jesus doesn't hold any authority. There are many people in the world called Jesus. Some foot famous footballers might spring to mind, but the authority of our Lord Jesus comes from um, the authority behind it. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> it says that Jesus' name is above every other name. So he has authority over all things. There's no name that's higher than Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus' name actually means the Lord saves. And in this verse in Romans 10, the Greek word that's used is a, a word sozo, and it means to save, to deliver, to protect, to preserve, to make or to be whole. So the name of Jesus has authority not just to save us from our sins, but also to heal us, to preserve us, to make us whole. And that's what Jesus wants of us as his followers. Also, when we pray in the name of Jesus in John 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. <clears throat> In Luke 10, 19, it also says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I wonder, do you know the authority of Jesus in your prayers? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have that authority. You are carrying the nuclear football, as it were. 
You're not like these fake exorcists who had no, um, no authority. They were just like an empty briefcase. So remember when you're praying. Remember to, that you have that authority. And when you pray, pray filled with faith. And if you don't know Jesus this morning and you feel like a wee bit of an empty briefcase, I'm going to give you the opportunity later on to invite him into your life so that you can have that authority in your prayers. Jesus also, if we'll let him, has authority over us. And we see that in the next section. Because what happens next in the passage is the people's response to the authority of Jesus. You can imagine that it would have caused a bit of a stir with these seven men um, being overpowered by an evil spirit and having to run out of their, the house naked and bleeding. And the news of this event, it tells us, spread and people were then seized with fear and the name of Jesus was held in high honour, it tells us. Other translations say that the name of Jesus was magnified or praised or extolled. And when we recognise the authority of Jesus in our life, it draws us to worship him. And then we see this chain of events happening. They have the fear of the Lord, then they worship him, then they confess their sins, they, they repent, they turn from their sins, and then there's a bit of evangelism. The name of the Lord <clears throat> grows and, and spreads. So what, what we see is... Um, worship the the fear of the lord leads to worship now I, d I don't know what you think of when you think of fear of the lord maybe you think of fear being like scared of the dark or 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 scared of spiders or something but that's not what it's talking about here it's talking about a reverence for the authority of jesus and the book of proverbs tells us that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom it's an understanding of your place in the universe and an understanding of the one who controls everything. It's also an understanding that that one who controls everything, God, the creator, um, holds everything together. And also he loves you and he sent his son to die for you so that you could have your sins forgiven and be in a relationship with him. I wonder, do you have a fear of the Lord today? Do you allow him to have authority over you? And then, as we said, that fear led to the name of the Lord being held in high honour or praised or worshipped. I don't know what you think of when you think of worship. Maybe it's singing songs at church on a Sunday, or maybe it's blasting them out in your car when you're driving along, or maybe singing in the shower. Or is it more than just singing songs? It says that the name of the Lord was held in high honour. To me, that doesn't just mean singing songs on a Sunday. It means giving God his rightful place in all areas of your life. So what does it look like for you to hold the name of the Lord Jesus in high honour? What does that look like for you on a Monday morning in your workplace? What does that look for you on a, a Tuesday night helping your child with homework? Or on a Thursday on, a, on the football pitch? Or a Friday in the pub? or every day of the week on social media? Are you holding the name of the Lord Jesus in high honour in all these areas of your life? I wonder if you might spend some time this week just reflecting on that, 
I'm thinking, Lord, asking him, Lord, what area of my life do I need to hold you in high honour? So fear of the Lord led to worship, which then led to confession. When we recognise the authority of Jesus in our life, we also recognise that to God, we're an open book. Our whole life is laid bare before him and he sees everything. He sees the good, the bad and the ugly. And when the Ephesians recognised this, it led them to a place of confession. When someone uncovers something that we've done wrong, we've really got three options. We can, one, deny it. We can, two, just be hard-hearted about it and have a so what attitude. Or three, we can confess and say that we're sorry. But with God, number one isn't really an option. We can't deny it because he knows the truth. And being hard-hearted with God is never a great idea. Confessing and saying sorry is always the best option. So I wonder if there's something today that you need to confess to God or to someone else and say that you're sorry. What happened next was rather dramatic. Um, the Ephesians were famous for these things called grammata or Ephesian letters. And what they were was scrolls that had um, basically spells and incantations and, and charms and they would recite them over people and people would come to them, they would um, pay a lot of money for a, a specific spell to be, to be spoken over them. Um, however, when the Ephesians recognised the authority of Jesus, um, their confession then led to repentance. They were compelled to do something to show that they had turned from their old way of life. Um, I found this definition of repentance, which I found really helpful, and I think it really shows us what the Ephesians did in this moment. It says, true repentance is not only sorrow for sins and humble penitence and contrition before God, but it involves the necessity of turning away from them, a discontinuance of all evil practices and deeds, a thorough reformation of life, a vital change from evil to good, from vice to virtue, from darkness to light. Repentance isn't just being truly sorry. It involves turning away from what you're doing wrong. And the Ephesians did this quite dramatically by bringing their scrolls into a public place and burning them. They had a massive bonfire with all their spells, basically. There was no going back from that. They had well and truly burnt their bridges. These scrolls, it tells us, were worth 50,000 drachma. So a drachma was a silver coin that was the equivalent of a day's wage. And if I've done my sums right, which often I do, I'm not very good at maths, um, that would be about 137 years' worth of work. They could have sold the scrolls for money, but this wasn't about the money. This was a recognition that this was an area of their life where they weren't holding the name of the Lord Jesus in high honour. And, and so it needed to be destroyed. This was an act of saying our old, old life is gone and now we're living all for Jesus. I wonder what scrolls you need to burn in your life. What is there in your life that's keeping you 
from holding the name of Jesus in high honour. It might be something physical that you need to get rid of. I once actually, when I was, I think I was about 18 or 19, um, I was in my house on my own. My parents were away on holiday without me. Yes, sob, sob, poor me. Anyway, I was in the house on my own and these two Mormons came to my door and um, they wanted to tell me about Mormonism and I thought, great, I'll tell you about Jesus. So I invited them in, which naively, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that as a 19-year-old girl on my own. But anyway, I invited them into my home and we spent a couple of hours debating um, Christianity versus Mormonism. And uh, I gave, they wanted to give me the Book of Mormon. And I said, well, I'll take it if you take a Bible. So I gave them a Bible and I, I took their Book of Mormon. And then they went. And that night, in the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and just said to me, burn that book. It was so clear. He just said, burn that book. So I went downstairs and I thought, I can't, I'm not really sure how to burn a book in the middle of the night. Um, so I just, I didn't actually burn the book. I took it outside. I tried to rip it. I couldn't. Um, these things are hard, tightly bound. So I just put it straight in the bin and went back to bed. But there was something about that book that, that was wrong. And it wasn't even that I was going to read it, but even having it in my house, God knew I needed to get rid of that. And so he woke me up in the middle of the night to tell me. And so maybe you have something physical in your house that you need to get rid of. But maybe it's not a physical thing that you need to burn. Maybe it's a relationship that you know isn't great for you. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe there's a job that you're doing that you know, this isn't what God wants me to be doing. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a situation that you regularly find yourself in that you know isn't one that you should be in. You know it's an area that you're not holding the name of Jesus in high honour. Why don't you take a moment today to bring that to God, to recognise the authority that he has over your life and to choose to burn that scroll, whatever it is, for you. Choose to turn from it in a way that there is no going back, just like the Ephesians did. Now, I'm saying that like that's an easy thing to do, and I understand for some things, these things can be terribly difficult, really terribly difficult to do. But we don't do it in our own strength. We do it with the strength of the Lord Jesus and his Holy Spirit that lives in us. And when we're choosing to live in the light rather than the darkness, the Holy Spirit will be with us every step of the way. If you've seen any of the Alpha videos, you might have come across a guy called Scott Harrison. I always like his story. He is now the CEO of a, a fantastic organization called Charity Water. But his story is that he grew up in a Christian home. And then when he was, I think, 18, 19, he left home and, and went to New York. And he turned from his faith and he became a nightclub promoter. And he was actually really good at his, his job. And he ended up working for really exclusive nightclubs. He was paid loads of money every month by Bacardi and by Budweiser just to, um, just to be seen drinking their alcohol in public. He was paid loads and loads of money. He ended up with everything that he wanted. If you hear him on the Alpha videos, I won't attempt to do his American accent, but he basically says his girlfriend was on the cover of magazines. He had a fancy apartment. He had a fancy car. He had a grand piano, which I like the idea of. He had everything he wanted, basically. 
and he thought he was living his best life. But he was also heavily addicted to alcohol, to nicotine, to drugs, to pornography. And one day he woke up and he thought, what is my life? What am I doing? Is this what I'm going to be remembered for? He realized that his life was utterly controlled by darkness. And in that moment, he thought he had to get rid of absolutely everything. So he did. He sold everything that he owned and he went to work on a ship, a mercy ship on the, the, west, the yeah, west coast of Africa. Um, mercy ships are a, an organization where they ha it's basically a floating hospital on a ship and he became their photojournalist and he stayed there for two years on that ship before he started up the organization Charity Water. But his story was quite dramatic as well, a bit like the burning of the scrolls. He just got rid of everything he owned because he knew he was in this trap of darkness and he had to turn to the light. And for him, it was quite extreme going from uh, America to living on a boat on the west coast of Africa for two years. But I wonder if there's something, maybe, maybe you do need to do something as drastic as that. Maybe it's not quite as drastic, but you know that there's an area of your life that you need to flee from you need to get rid of so that Jesus' name can be held in high honour. And the final thing that we see that happens in this chain of events is mentioned in verse 20. It says that in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Fear of the Lord led to worship, led to confession, led to repentance, which then led to evangelism. When our lives are transformed by Jesus, people notice. And when we change the way that we live in order to hold Jesus' name in high honour, people ask why. These Ephesians took their scrolls and had a massive bonfire in a public area. Now imagine what, we would, what would happen if we were to take 137 years worth of salary and suddenly burn it in a public area. I looked up the, the average salary for Scotland last year was £26,000. Multiply that by 137 to get the 137 years of salary and you have about £3.5 million. Imagine if you were just to take £3.5 million and light a big bonfire in the middle of your town. Can you imagine the reactions of people? They'd be forced to ask the question, what is worth more to these people? than all this money. And I wonder, does the authority of Jesus in your life lead people to ask questions about Jesus? Let's be people who hold the name of Jesus in high honor and live our life in a way that forces people to ask who Jesus is. Because this was the way in the passage that the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. So today I'm just going to leave us with four questions. Do we recognize Christ's authority over us? His authority to use us to be vessels for his miracles? His authority when we pray? His authority over life, our life, which leads to complete repentance? And finally, do we live our lives in a way that leads others to Jesus?